Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. <clears throat> All right. I was like, Lord, I got a pretty simple message this week. I don't know why it's so short. Because he was going to show up and minister a little bit on his own. Ephesians chapter 2. Did you enjoy the presence of the Lord? Is that good? The ministry of the Spirit? Yeah? Oh, I'm going to switch mics. You're going to have to change my... Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My voice is going to come back quickly. I'm prophesying over all itself right now. Pro- excuse me. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you, <clears throat> not that, but you were dead in your offenses and sins, which you previously walked in according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. But God, say but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated with him, seated us us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? Father, we do love you. Thank you so much for your word. We pray that you would bless it to us. We trust that you will anoint its public reading and our expounding upon it and that you would be alive in people today in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, 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 and amen. We're continuing our message series, The Beloved Community. The Beloved Community. Thank you, Mike. The Beloved Community. And uh, I, uh, man, do you love the presence of God? I met with some of our leaders um, a couple weeks ago. I actually was in our last uh, uh, intercession meeting. And I, and I told them that I feel like spiritually things are about to start popping off in here again. And, um, and uh, there was a great uh, wit- bearing witness of the spirit in that. And we've seen, would you forget? Go, yeah, you know, these things happen. And, and we've begun to see a, a greater move of the spirit. And what I, what I sense is coming is, is um, an activity of the Holy Ghost firmly rooted in the Word. I, 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 just, see, I, I, um, I, I just see in the, in the charismatic church, the future looks like people who actually know their Bibles. Um, I, 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 I'm prophesying now a little bit, but in the church today, we're very excited um, about, about the gifts, of course, as we should be, and we're excited about the idea of the priesthood of the believer. Amen. And we do believe in that. Yet the Bible does teach us that people have been separated for the work of ministry and they are to give their lives to what traditionally has been called a religious life. And because uh, the, the Protestant church in general, 
and the charismatic church specifically so emphasizes the, the priesthood of all believers, uh, the average minister doesn't quite understand their calling. And so if I'm a minister and everybody's a minister, what makes me different? And so what the charismatic church has done is they invented uh, kind of this special group of people called apostles and prophets. And so everybody who is filled with the Spirit wants to be special, and so they want to be apostles and prophets. And we've gone down that road so far that we have completely uh, diminished and disregarded the role of the pastor, the person actually anointed to shepherd the flock biblically, and we've ignored the teaching altogether. We have completely disregarded uh, the high calling of those who are called to be teachers. And what's funny about that is that Jesus was called teacher more than anything else. His disciples called him rabbi. But we've completely dismissed that in lieu of a term that Jesus was never called the apostle. Uh, People long to be an apostle, but we neglect the ministry of the word and we neglect the very sheep that Jesus said we would come, he would anoint us to take care of. And I see in the future in this house specifically, but in the charismatic church in general, uh, uh, people who are anointed feel called and will answer the call to learn the word, to teach the word, who understand deeply the word and feel um, a great compulsion toward the Word. Uh, and, I, um, and I have seen in this house and in many others that um, the Word is being restored, and I'm so happy. Aren't you happy for that? Don't you enjoy good teaching in the Word of God? I, um, <clears throat> we're in our, got our message series, uh, The Beloved Community, and last week I expounded upon where I got that term from. It actually, uh, Martin Luther King made it famous though he picked it up uh, from a writer uh, in the early 1900s. And this beloved community, according to Martin Luther King, what he believed the church was actually called to be, was a church that so loved one another that it could actually become pure love to one another. If you listen to the speeches of Martin Luther King, he would call out the workers of iniquity in his day, he would call out the, the evil sheriffs and governors and those who made evil policies, and he would say, we don't stand against them, we stand against the evil at work inside of them. We stand against the evil that is working through them, and we look forward to a day that not only do people of color have a seat at the table, but we have a seat at the table with our white brothers and sisters who have given up the evil at work inside of them. His ultimate desire was reconciliation, but not reconciliation with evil or workers of iniquity. He believed that God had created these people for a much better purpose than what they were doing at the time. Can you say amen? And there can't be reconciliation without repentance. There's no reconciliation without repentance, and there's no repentance until people recognize their sin. If you have been abused by someone, of course we want reconciliation, but we don't want reconciliation with your abuser unless they have repented of their abuse, turned away from it, were delivered, and became someone who is trustworthy. Now, in our hearts, we have to walk in forgiveness, we have to walk in love, but we don't have to walk in stupidity, amen? Amen. We don't have to let people keep abusing us. You say, well, pastor, you know, Jesus did say, give them the other cheek. Well, you only got two cheeks, amen? Amen. Amen. 
people have abused these scriptures to tell women they need to stay in abusive relationships. They've abused this scripture to say you have to submit to ungodly authority. None of that is in the Bible. It's not in there. What we seek is the same thing that Martin Luther King sought, the same thing that Jesus sought, that we would be a community marked by its love. We want to be a community at Revival Life Church marked by its love. Why am I talking about this? Why is this important? Why, why aren't we, you know, we're a small church. Why are we? Because we're not staying small. We won't stay small. God is going to add people to this healthy community. And when people show up, we don't need people showing up and to become somebody because of their gift. You need to be somebody because of your love. Amen. We want people to come into this community and be loved in a way that they can be vulnerable, not have to fake it. You ever been in a church where people fake how holy they are and just fake how anointed they are and everybody's in this competition? You ever been there? That's no fun. It's no fun. It's, 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 it doesn't glorify God and it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't actually get you anywhere. Being the best praise dancer on Sunday does not actually change your life. Because people call you bishop does not actually change your life. Actually living in love and having people know that you love them, that changes lives. Being willing to be persecuted and not lashing out, that changes lives. When people become unhealthy and you don't become unhealthy with them, that changes lives. Amen. And this is who we seek to be as a church. Amen? And so, as this church, as we're going over this message series, The Beloved Community, and we're talking about the kind of community that we see God building here, we, we know that um, this, this, this church, this, this community, um, we talked last week about the beloved community. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about it's going to be a Jesus community. Amen? Now, this, this Jesus community, we talked about every church is, uh, is, is um, sorry about that, a church is an appointed gathering of named people in particular places who practice a life of resurrection in a world which gets the, where death gets the biggest headlines. And if you were to study the news today, the worst things happening in our society get the most press. The least edifying things are the most celebrated. And we want to be a community that practices the resurrection. Not the death, the resurrection. We want to live in the resurrection. When we don't remember, watch this, when we don't remember where God brought us from, we lose track of how we got where we are and where God wants to bring us. When we get so holy and we get so big and we get so good and we become so Christian that we forget where God brought us from. See, sometimes we act like we've always been this holy. When we know that's not true. We, we know that God brought us from a mighty long way, amen? We remember who we were, and the reason we can praise God now in this kind of breakdown is we remember what God brought us from. And it is this remembrance. Uh, if we don't keep recollection of it, we lose track of how we got here. And then all of a sudden, we just find ourselves adrift in the God story. It's so easy to think that where we are today is where we've always been. And when we get to that place, we think that we deserve what we've earned. I need you to hear me. We think we deserve the grace that we're walking in today. As if we somehow, as we somehow manufactured it ourselves, 
or that we have, God owes it to us because I was faithful to him. We lose track of the fact that, but for the grace of God, I would still be stuck in the mess that I was in before Jesus saved me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody actually been saved from their sin and have a testimony that God came through for them? It's easy to think that where we are today, we deserve to be here. But friends, none of us, none of us do. Time and again, Israel fell into this trap. They lost its testimony and they started doing well. And when they started doing well and they forgot that it was by God's grace that they came into breakthrough, they lost their inheritance. And that's the that's the good word right there. We lose our inheritance because we forget that it's God who brought us here. When you lose your testimony, you forfeit your inheritance. And I, 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 I wanted to bring that up again because I need to remember that. You need to remember that. This house needs to remember that it's God who brought us this far. And it's God that can bring us to the next season we're coming into. And we can't forget that if, if it weren't for God, I, I can't move on from his grace and his miraculous power and his delivering authority that brought us to where we are right now. But where I was before I found Jesus is not a good place. And if it weren't for Jesus, who knows where my life will be right now? And if it weren't for Jesus right now, where would you be? Where would your life have turned out without him? And we start thinking like, man, I, I'm, I'm so thankful for my spouse and I can't believe that he brought me a godly person. And then we get used to them and we get comfortable and then we start getting a critical eye and we start thinking, well, maybe God could have brought me something a little better. God could have maybe done this. And we lose, we lose our inheritance because we forget our testimony. We prayed for children, and we were so excited that they come, and then they come. And, <laughs> and then we start viewing them, not with thankfulness and joy, but maybe through the view of the work that they've become, or maybe the difficulty they have incurred in our lives, if we could say that. I love my children. I'm thankful for them, but they're both blessings, and we can forget what a blessing these people are. We don't come back to our roots, and we think we are somebody, and we think we deserve better, and we lose, is this making sense, and we lose our inheritance. And so last week, we, we talked about this community of people who don't focus on the death that's happening around us, but we live a life of resurrection. We stay in awe of the resurrection of Jesus and we stay in awe of the resurrection in our lives. We're in the season of Lent right now. And as you know, the season of Lent is the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, not counting the Sundays. And traditionally, the season of Lent is when you focus on why we need Jesus. Now, those really depressing churches, they focus on their sinfulness and how terrible I am and how rotten I am, and they put ashes on their head. You know, originally when they started Ash Wednesday, you didn't just get a little brown cross on your forehead, you dumped ashes on your head. Actually, the priest would dump ashes on your head, and you would sit with a head with the ashes all over your head, thinking about how dirty your life is, and how terrible you are, and how awful things are. And I have not found depression ever to make me closer to God. Anybody know what talk about. Make it, I don't, I don't, actually, I don't need anybody to do anything to me to get depressed. Depression is like, it's not far from me at any moment, right? Like if I chose depression, it's right there just waiting for me, right? If you're looking for anxiety, it's not like you got to go looking for it. It's right there waiting for you. In America today, in our society, the, the, the doom and gloom is always, you have to, you have to choose to not fall into that 
testimony. And so finally, people got tired of ashes dumped on their head, so they put the ashes on their forehead, and it's a time of, you know, thinking about how awful I am. No, no, no. What we want to do in this 40 days is think about how much we need Jesus. <laughs> we still need Jesus. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We still need him. We don't graduate from needing him. We don't have a theology where you get saved and now you're just on hold until you die and go to heaven. If that was all that you had, if that's all that there was, if that, there was nothing more than that, then we would just walk around with a fire hose in Meisner and just baptize everybody. And then we just see, hey, I'll see you in heaven. And that's all we need to do. No, 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 no. There is a life. Like, I still need him in my life. I'm still living on the edge of my faith. I want to live in a place where I'm always at the very edge of what Carl can do, waiting for God to build that bridge to the thing that I want to move into. And some of you right now are in that place. You're like, God, why aren't things easier? And God is like, you wanted to see me move in your life? That's going to require some circumstances where you can't do it without me. I am going to have to do it. And sometimes God will let you get to the edge, the very edge. So he's building a testimony in your life right now. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It is not a testimony without a test. And so you are out there on the edge and the devil is like, just give up. Just give up. Just, just cut some corners. Just do this over here. And God is like cheering for you. Like I have set this entire thing up as a training regimen for you. You push weights to get stronger. And he's got some spiritual weights that you're lifting right now. And some of you are out there in the gym and you're flexing in the mirror. And right now you're only lifting five pound spiritual weights. But you never had a muscle before. And so it's so exciting to you. And God is like, oh, I got some heavy lifting I need you to do, but you're going to have to conquer this little five-pound battle right now. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know when you go to gym and you haven't been in a long time and you start getting a little sore and you're flexing and ain't nothing there but the fat's moving around a little bit, but you're feeling like you're flexing a little bit because you did some, some of you are doing some spiritual workout right now. Hear me. Some of you are doing some spiritual workouts right now and you need to keep a journal to remember, oh yeah. Just flex in your journal a little bit. Oh, I remember when this would have scared me. I remember when this would have been something that would have... I remember, but not now. Not now. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting God. I'm, 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 in the, I'm in the waiting period, but my waiting period is not wasted period because I'm waiting on Jesus. I am training in this waiting period, waiting on Jesus. And he is going to come through. I'm going to preach you happy today. It's what's going to happen. I got about 25 scriptures I'm going to share. I'm going to bathe you in the word of God today. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to bathe you in the word of God. And so in this season of Lent, some of you are like, I don't need a reminder why I need Jesus. It's very apparent to me. I don't need a special season on the calendar. I'm living it right now. But we need Jesus. And we are focusing on this Good Friday coming where Jesus dies on a cross and on this Resurrection Sunday where he is raised from, I feel, mm, I feel the anointing. I'm, I'm talking more than I want to because I got so much scripture, but I just feel the anointing. And uh, I, I am, mm, mm, mm. <clears throat> And so this is what we're fasting in this, in this season of Lent. We're fasting pessimism. If you weren't here last week, take a picture of it and remind your spouse, you're allowed to nag them about this. My own wife nagged me this week. You can, we are, we are, we are, we are fasting pessimism. Pessimism. That's when we think, ah, it ain't going to work out. Nope. 
we're fasting self-loathing. Oh, it's my fault. I'm, I do things wrong. Stop it. Just, just, just for a month, right? Just for a month, try to give it up. Just, just, you, you can go back to it if you want. You want to you go back to hating yourself in a month or so? Go for it. Just for a month, try to give it up, right? Uh, negativity. You know that person when you tell something, some story, something you're excited about, and they, the first person who tells you how it might not work out, oh, I knew a girl who tried that. She's homeless now. You know, like, no, thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> Appreciate that greatly. Don't be that guy, right? Just, just for a month. You can go back to being miserable in a month, right? Isolation. Oh, I'm not going to go to church this week. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not feeling good, so I better stay away from God. Like, how's that working out for you, right? Hopelessness. Some of you could just give up hopelessness. And, and, and in turn, we're going we're gonna to do something radical. We're, 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 instead of all those things, we're going we're gonna to try something radical. We're just going to be hopeful. Yes. We're going to speak hopefulness into every situation in our lives in this coming season. Things are going to work out. Here, here, I want to give you some language for this hopefulness. This isn't even my message. It's just supposed to be a recap, but I just feel it in my spirit. When this thing comes into your head about how things aren't working out, I want you to say, man, I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's sure going to get a testimony out of this situation. Amen. I can't wait to see how God fixes this thing. This is going to be amazing. One day I'm going to understand why God had me go through this because there's a mountain I'm going to be on the mountaintop of after this thing, and I'm going to drag somebody up there with me. Yeah. I don't know how you're going to get glory out of this situation, Jesus, but I am trusting that you will. I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why this is happening, but I believe that you are in control. And at some point, I will look back and see this was for my good and your glory. Amen. Try it a little bit. Try to kick hopelessness in the mouth. Just, just for a couple of You could be hopeless again next month. But for this month, let's just try to be hopeful. Let's, let's, and this is, this, is, this is what God wants of you. Now, may the God of hope fill you with hope and joy and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of Holy Spirit. Do you want more Holy Spirit at work in your life? Lean into hope. Lean into hope because he's there in the midst of it. We want to stay hopeful. We have a different hope than the world has. You know that? The world just hopes that things are going to work out. The, the, the world has to hope on circumstances. That's not the source of our hope. Our, our, our hope isn't in ourselves. Our hope isn't in money. Our hope isn't in the government, for sure. Our hope isn't even even each other. Our, our hope is in God. We have hope in God. The psalmist David wrote it in Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. Some praise their chariots and some their horses, but we praise the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Some of you, you feel now in this situation that you're going through, you're just, I can see you spiritually bent over, scared to look people in the eye out of either shame or disappointment or fear. But the psalmist here tells us, listen, we don't have to bow down because of our circumstance. We have God. He's the source of our hope. 
we have risen and stood upright. I am right where God has me right now. I'm right in the middle of where God wants me. Things aren't exactly where I want them to be, but I know the God of angel armies is on my side, and He's going to turn things for my good in the name of Jesus. I can stand upright knowing that I am following God. This is where we stand. We rise up. We stand firm. But what are we standing firm on? Not just encouragement for encouragement's sake. Not just because I'm making you feel good here. Not just because the worship team gave you goosebumps. We trust in the good news of Jesus. All of our hope is based in the good news of Jesus. This is called the gospel. The gospel is good news. Or as I like to say, it is news that is good. A lot of people preach the gospel and it does not sound like good news. It sounds like God is waiting to throw you into a lake of fire and the only thing stopping God is God. It's a very confusing theology at times. That Jesus came to save you from God is their theology at times. No, Jesus came to save you from sin and death. Amen? The enemy is the enemy, and God has come to save you. And we trust in this good news of Jesus Christ. And so that is why we are a gospel community. We're a Jesus community. We're a community of the good news of Jesus Christ, a gospel community. This is a community that believes that we must preach the good news that Jesus Christ has come, that we must turn and face Jesus, repent of our sins, receive him as savior and live as people who are disciples of Jesus Christ. This is what we are as a community. And this church is not a club. It's not an interest group. We're not a people who like the same kind of music, and so we gather on Sunday because it's the only place you can hear it live. That's not why we're here. We're not here because we all love the same football team or the same soccer team or the same baseball team or have the same hobbies. It's not a homeschool convention. Amen. It's not not any of these other things that these churches morph into. It's not a cool kids club. We don't have a dress code. We don't try to tell you what you need to wear or what you need to look like or how you need to talk. We are a group of people that center around Jesus. We're a people who have believed the good news about Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. We can believe different things about lots of stuff. Last week, I told you we can have different political beliefs. We can have different ideas on immigration and different ideas on politics, different ideas on economics, and come together around the message of Jesus Christ. And you will be surprised when I told the community last week that there can be Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and and people have no political affiliation at all and don't even care about politics. Don't vote. Don't plan to vote. Don't think voting has anything to do with them. We can all gather around the cross of Jesus. After I announced this, I had several people come up to me and tell me their political affiliations, their political ideologies. Why did they do this? Because they felt, finally, I don't have to hide it. I can genuinely be who I am, and I don't have to hide it at church. Because we're not kicking you out if you don't have the right... Like, it makes no sense. I mean, I wish you could hear my heart on this. 
We need to love people well. And nowhere in the Bible does it say who you need to vote for. The Bible doesn't even say you have to vote. When it comes to Jesus, we don't even get to vote, right? When we get to heaven, there'll be no voting at all. None of this voting is even in the Bible, right? And so we don't have to affiliate with party politics at all. I'm going to talk about that a little another week. Um, That is our modern uh, version of modernism and postmodernism. It's politics, but I want to talk about right now. We are the church of Jesus Christ, and we are that because of the gospel, because of the good news. Amen? We are people who believed the good news about Jesus. This is who we are. This is the church. The church are the people who believe the good news about Jesus. And so what I want to do today, and I've already gone longer than I want to, and sweet Jesus, I'm halfway through my time, um, and we'll see what happens here. I want to answer some basic questions today. Who is Jesus? Have you noticed we go to church a lot, and everything that the church is built on is the work of Jesus, but so often in the church today, we don't talk about him. The man, Jesus. We, we, we don't talk about the Son of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. The man, Jesus, what he taught, how he lived, what he hoped for us, the closeness of his presence to those whom he has saved, why we needed him, how he solves the problems of humanity. To do that, I'm going to need to go back to the beginning. I'm going to go back to Genesis, but I'm not doing the whole Bible. Don't worry. I'm starting in Genesis, but we're not doing the whole Bible today. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and earth. And go ahead, help me out, Josh. And the earth was without form and desolate emptiness. I love how the New American Standard says this. And the earth was a formless and desolate emptiness. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Let me tell you this. If you don't get anything else out of today's message, when you find yourself in darkness, when you find yourself in deep darkness and chaos, like the earth was at that point, the earth was in chaos, it was disorder, but the Holy Ghost was hovering, ready to act. When you find yourself in a place of darkness, of depression, of lack of direction, of chaos, of turmoil. Holy Spirit is one decision away from your situation. He wants to come in and bring order out of chaos. Time and time again in the Word of God, we see a great darkness come, and then the Spirit of God come in as rescues us out of our chaos and brings us into God's beautiful plan. And this, this is what God did on the earth. You see, Satan was in heaven, many believe, and he was cast out to the earth. He was cast out of heaven to the earth, and here's where he dwelled. He had authority over the earth. And Satan, who the Bible personifies evil, when he was expelled, he created chaos in the earth. And this is how you know the devil is at work in a situation. There's confusion. There's chaos. Things aren't making sense. That's where you know the work of the enemy is at play. And that's what was happening to the earth. And in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this formless void, God decided to put a garden and created 
man. You see, the very earth that the God had cast Satan to, to have authority over, God then created man out of this earth, and he said, even this earth is going to have authority over you, devil. He gave us authority, and he created a covenant with Adam and Eve, and he told them, listen, in the beginning, there's this garden, and you're in this garden, and I'm protecting you in this garden, and if I'm your God, you will be my people, and you will be protected. Just stay away from sin, and I will be with you forever. This is, this is the origin story of man and God, living in perfect harmony in a garden. And in this covenant was supposed to protect this relationship. And sin was not supposed to come into this covenant relationship. But then sin came into the picture. And we have this human body, which was made from this fallen creation. And it has these natural inclinations towards rebellion and selfishness and isolation and perversion. And Adam and Eve were there in the garden in their, in their natural state with their flesh given in to their cravings of their fleshly desires. And when this sin came to visit them in the, purpose, in the person of a, a serpent, as the story tells, they were tempted and they chose sin over God. And to that we say, why? Why? Life would be so much better if sin had never entered the picture. So now, when they chose sin over God... Humanity had this life messed up with sin. We broke relationship with God by sinning with Him. We, 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 we return to this darkness where we can't see God clearly, and we have problems with people because of sin. It created problems between Adam and Eve. And we no longer are masters of creation, and we have to work, and we have this sin and chaos in this age. Since the garden, we live in a world filled with suffering and disease and poverty and racism and natural disasters and war and death. And this all comes from the enemy who tears us away from God. The world is a mess, hear me, and we need to be rescued from it. We can't rescue ourselves. You see, these are all, these problems, the war and the racism, the, 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 the problems with one another, and the, these are all these horizontal problems. These are the problems of our lives, the not enough money, the not enough peace, the not enough sleep, the not enough love. These are, these are horizontal problems, and we can chase them all day long trying to fix them, but we will never get to the root. The root is our vertical relationship with God. And we can't fix these horizontal problems until we get this vertical problem solved. All human problems are symptoms of a separation from God. And that is the root. We all know that we need to be better people. We all, we all are convinced that we're trying to better ourselves. And mental health is a big deal today. Betterment is a big deal today. Being on a path of becoming a better person is a big deal today. But you could chase that tail your whole life and never reach the end because being better doesn't fix the problem. We need our relationship with God fixed. And there comes a time that we all realize I need to be better and I am not making this work. There comes a time that we all realize that I cannot do this on 
my own. There's ways that we respond to that. I want you to hear this. There's three ways when we come to this place of saying, I recognize that I need to be a better person. There's three ways that we respond to this. The, The first is that we can just continue in being a terrible person. Or we can just say, I don't care. This is who I am. I'm an individual. I'm just a little rough. And people, if you don't love me at my worst, you don't get me at my best. And to which I say, okay, bet. I don't want you at your worst. I want you to be a better person than you are right now. We can just go on and live evil and we can blame all our problems on someone else. That's one. Number two, we can decide, hey, I need to be a better person and God wants me to be a better person. This is, this is what I'm supposed to do. I recognize that I am the clay, he is the potter, and he is the creator of all, and he is the God, and he gets the judge, and I'm going to recognize that he's telling me that I need to be better, and so I'm going to begin working on myself. We call that the religious response. If you realize that your life needs to be better, that's because the Holy Spirit of God is at work in your life calling you to something. To refuse it is the irreligious response. To recognize that you need to change and you decide that you need to fix yourself is the religious response. But then there is the relational response. You see, you can't fix yourself. You can't fix yourself because guess what? You're the problem. The problem can't fix the problem. We need a catalyst. We need a change agent to bring holiness into our lives, to bring goodness into our lives, to bring an avenue of God's blessing into our lives. And we can't ignore that. We can't ignore God and continue to sin. We need this catalyst at work in our lives. We need an external change agent. How do we do that? We can believe the good news about Jesus. This is the beginning of the catalyst for real life change. What is that good news? In Galatians, he says this, but when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. Because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father, therefore you're no longer a slave, but a son. You are a daughter. And if you are a daughter, if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. This is better than fixing yourself. Just saving your money and investing is good, but an inheritance is better. Can you say amen? Lots of money coming to you that you did not earn is better than trying to get it yourself. Amen? Yes, amen, 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 yes, yes. And so God says that you are an heir. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become an heir of God. In the fullness of time, it says. What does that mean, in the fullness of time? Well, that speaks that this is the end of the Old Testament period. The fullness of time. God had decided that the Old Testament laws and covenants had come to an end. And at the end of that period, he sent Jesus. There was a time that we could just keep the law and just try to be better. But that time has ended. It does not work anymore. We needed to have our value redeemed. 
And I got a lot of Bible, and I'm going to cut some out, but I really want you to hear this. We need our value redeemed. That's what the scripture says, that he redeemed us. When there is a market and we don't know what something is worth, we have no idea the value of something, they put it up for auction. What is this thing worth? Whatever somebody is willing to pay for it. And so you could go into an auction and say, I don't know if this little vase is valuable or not. And the guy looks at it and says, oh, well, this is actually a very rare vase. And you're like, well, I've just been keeping flowers in it. You know, a vase for me is worth about $5, and uh, that's my value. And they're like, oh, this has been a Tiffany vase that comes from wherever. And we'll put it at auction, and we'll see what the value is. And the value is whatever somebody is willing to pay for it. Hear me. The value comes from what someone is willing to pay for it. And then someone goes to that auction and they say, oh, that va- oh, I'll pay $10,000 for that vase. And you're like, I would just take $10 for it. And this person says, but I give you $10,000. And then someone else says, I give $15,000. You're like, $15,000? Someone says, I give $18,000. And all of a sudden, the value of this vase, where it was only treated like a $5 vase, all of a sudden, it goes to the auction and it's bought for $20,000. And somebody, instead of it just sitting on an end table somewhere, it's on, a, it's on a, a podium with a spotlight on it, encased in glass so nobody can touch it, because its true value has been redeemed. Because someone was willing to pay $20,000 for it. The scripture here that we just read out of Galatian tells us that we thought we had a value, and the value was very low. But somebody was willing to pay for us. The father himself said, I'll pay for that one right there. I see that Brianna right there, and she's way more valuable than what the world has called her. Oh, what will you pay for her? Will you pay for what, uh, with, uh, with a sinner, or maybe with a bull, or a goat? No, actually, I value her the value of my own son, Jesus Christ. And I'm willing to give my son, Jesus Christ, so that that one right there can become my daughter. That is the value. When you put your faith in Jesus, your value is redeemed. You get your true value back. Amen. Amen. And so Jesus gave his life for you. That is your value. He not only made us valuable, he brought us into his family. You see, there was a time where we had the, just the, the horrific, horrific system of slavery in America. And people devilishly were able to own other people. And there was a monetary value placed on these people. And then, at some point, slavery became illegal, but they weren't brought into the family of America. We see the results of that even to today. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We're not brought into the family. We're not made equals. We're not, they're just, okay, we don't own you, but you're not one of us. You ever felt that way? You're in the room, you're at the job, you're on the team, you're trying to be part of the ministry, but you clearly are treated like you are not one of us. Maybe you moved to this country, you felt that way. Maybe you went to a new high school and you felt that way. There was a new friend group became the cool group, and you are not one of us. And they let you know at every turn, you're not one of us. You have a funny accent. You don't dress the same. We're letting you know you're not one of us. That's not what the Father did. The Father didn't save you and then keep you as a slave or a servant. He didn't say, listen, I bought you out of slavery to the devil, and now I'm going to let you know for the rest of your life how terrible you are. I'm going to let you know that if it wasn't for me, you would still be. I'm still going to let you know that you aren't all that you could have been because you sinned back there. No, no, no. 
the Scriptures tell us very clearly that not only did He redeem us, He made us sons and daughters of God. He brought us into the family. Not only are we into the family where we're not just treated like a son or a daughter, we get an equal inheritance with the ones who were born into the family. We get a full participation in the family of God. This is what our Father did through Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus did. And I am emphasizing this because I don't care how anointed you get. I don't care how much Bible you memorize. I don't care how many magic tricks you can do. I don't care how many people believe that you're anointed. Everything that we accomplish on this planet is because Jesus Christ's life was given so that we can be redeemed and become sons and daughters of God. This is the foundation of everything that we do for Jesus. This is what is marked us. This is what, the, what, what everything we compare to. This is the special one who brought us in. This is the one who redeemed our value. This is the one who gave his life for us. Anything we accomplish is because he first loved us. Amen? Amen. Let's give a clap offering to the Lord if we could. We just thank you for our salvation, Jesus. We thank you for this, Jesus. And so I, I, I grew up, like many of you, I knew who Jesus was. And I knew that he died on the cross for my sins. I used to say that all the time. I had no problem. I knew that he died on the cross for my sins. I also knew that I was living in sin, and I thought it was funny. I, I, I would tell people, yeah, no, no, I'm just living in sin. I'm a, yeah, no, I'm just a sinner. But I know that Jesus saved me. I know that he died on a cross. I know that he was born of a virgin. I was confirmed in the Episcopal Church. I was good. I was good because I knew the stuff. And I thought that knowing the stuff was enough. I even believed it. I even believed that Jesus is God. I believed that Jesus was the Son of God who was crucified and resurrected on the third day. I knew that, but I was still going to split hell wide open. I was destined for a sinner's death because Jesus had not become alive in my heart yet. I had not received him as my Savior and given him what he paid for. You see, the Bible says that I am redeemed because Jesus gave his life for me. Now, so it, 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 it's like we talked about during the offering. Uh, if you go and you order something online and uh, you give them the money before you get the product, right? And then you wait. I don't know about you, but I'm tracking those things that come to me. I don't know why. I'm tracking them. Like, where's my stuff? You got my money. Where's my stuff, right? And so I'm tracking the delivery of my stuff, and if it's delayed, you know, and sometimes it's just like just not the tracking isn't moving and you're like, what is going on? You might call up. Hey, the tracking's not moving. They're like, well, sometimes it works like this. I paid for something. I didn't get it yet. You see, I was the thing that Jesus had paid for, but he didn't get what he paid for. I knew that he paid for me, but I didn't give him what he paid for. I was still just out there tracking delayed. Tracking delayed. You know, there's people who rob Amazon trucks, right? They rob the delivery thing. The devil will rob the delivery of what Jesus paid for. Jesus paid for all of humanity. But the tracking is delayed for many. I feel the anointing on that right there. Come on, somebody. And so the tracking was delayed. And so I was like, yeah, no, no, Jesus paid for me. I didn't recognize it. I was living robbing God. Completely robbed God of what he paid for. I understand that you gave your son for my life, but I'm good. Nah. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And then one day I woke up. I woke up and I recognized that this 
living God had paid for me. I mean, I had an encounter. I had an encounter with the living God. I knew that he was calling me. I knew that he was drawing me. And I had this, this dissonance in my head. I believed that I was saved and I was right with God. Yet at the same time, I believed that God was calling me to something. How can God call me to something if I had already been delivered? Come on, somebody. The thing was, I hadn't actually been delivered. I hadn't been brought to where I, the purchaser's house. I had not been delivered to the purchaser's house yet. I was just out there. I knew that he paid for me. I knew that he was good, but I had not been delivered to his house. So I was being drawn to God, but didn't have a framework for it. What do we do about that? You know what we do? We get people to church. Church is where the gospel is preached where discipleship happens, the community of people who have responded to the call of Jesus Christ, where we normalize the reading of His Word, where we teach people how to worship God. We learn how to live in community, that you can't just act any old type of fool your whole life and that someone might actually call you out and tell you to live better. And so I went to church. And uh, I know that you can get saved in a bar or on your bedroom. I know you can get saved in prison or the hospital. Amen. Yes, hallelujah, but that's not where you get discipled. That's not where you become a follower of Jesus. And Jesus did not say, go out into all the world and get people saved. He said, go out into the world and make disciples. And I'm all for getting people to say the prayer at a bus stop or jail or at work. I am for it. I do it. I believe it. But he did not tell us that was the mission. That's good. That is good. But we are to make disciples. And discipleship happens in the church. The community of people who believe that Jesus Christ has saved them. And so when I uh, came to the recognition that, man, I, uh, I don't maybe know God as well as I thought I do, uh, I went to uh, a church and I uh, went to actually an Episcopal church that I, you know, I grew up calling myself Episcopalian. And uh, I, many of you know my story. Um, I went to this Episcopal, little Episcopal church in Gainesville uh, when I was going to the University of Florida. I knew God was calling me. I knew he told me I was on scholarship at my dream school in Washington, D.C. I had a life that I was ready to live. I had it all mapped out. But God was telling me to move to Gainesville, the one school that accepted me and didn't give me a scholarship. And I did not understand why he would possibly want me to go to this backwater town of Gainesville when I'm living in Washington, D.C. It made no sense. But you will find when God calls you to himself, he will give you a stumbling block. And you must give up your idols to receive all God has for you. And I had to give up the idol that represented Washington, D.C. And when I did that and I moved to Gainesville, I was uh, living on my friend's couch, which really annoyed me. Uh, because he, I didn't like him that much, and, uh, and he had to support me. I, I love him, but I didn't like him that much. And um, I was living on his couch, and I decided that Sunday I was going to go to church because I knew God was calling me. And I went to this little Episcopal church, and the service was dead. There was nothing of life happening in this church at all, except I was there in faith. And we received communion at the altar, and I went back to my table, went back to my chair, and we were singing this old hymn, Hosanna, and it was, the organ was playing, and I was on my knees, I was crying uncontrollably. The fire of God 
had completely covered me, and I could only speak in tongues. I did not know what was happening. The first person I ever heard speak in tongues was me, and I could not speak in English. I was speaking in tongues. The fire of God was covering me. My heart was being melted, and I was sobbing before the Lord, and I looked around the room. I'm like, I don't know what's happening in this room, but what's happening to me is God. God had called me to something I never knew of. I did not know any of this, and I must find him. Two weeks later, I found myself at a charismatic church. I told this story many, many times. I park in the parking lot. Now, I'm used to going to kind of like these dead Episcopalian churches, you know, with the steeple and the, the rock, and it's very stogie. And, and so we, 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 I park in the parking lot. as a big open field, and I'm like, they don't even have a paved parking lot. What's going on here? And we're walking from the parking lot. I'm with my girlfriend, who was a Jehovah Witness. And that's a whole other story. And we're walking from the parking lot. And, uh, and she didn't want to go. This is super funny. She didn't want to go to the church, but like she couldn't, I couldn't wear, you know, like she couldn't give up anymore. Like, like I had nagged so much and my friend who I was living on his couch was nagging me to go to his, visit his church. And so I decided to go and she backslid Jehovah Witness and if that's even a thing. And um, I don't know how you'd be backslidden from being backslidden, but whatever that is, that's what you... And, um, and so we're walking, we're walking up to the church, we're running a little bit late, and we're walking on the side of the building, and we're hearing music out of the building, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, what in, now, I, I never had a band in church before, I don't know what was going on. I'm like, what is this crazy, what is happening? So we walk in the church, and I was so excited because the church was multicultural like ours, because I didn't want, I was like, my friend invited me, he was Puerto Rican, and he was like, I was like, well, is it all white people? And he's like, no, no, there's every race at this church. I was like, shh. I didn't believe, now I'm going to a white Episcopalian church, right? Like, you're stuck on, when you're in sin, you're stuck on stupid, right? Sin will keep you stuck on stupid, amen. Sin makes you stupid. I want you to say it with me. Sin makes you stupid. I love when people live a life of sin and they think they're managing everything. And you're sitting back there like, your, your life is a hot mess. This is just a hot mess. You, you don't know how stupid you look, you just... God bless you, but you look like a fool. I know that girl is cheating on you. I know your life is a mess. I know ain't nothing in your life is going right. But you got Instagram and TikTok looking like you're something, but your life is a mess because sin makes you stupid. And I was stupid because I lived a life of sin. And I went into this church, and every week he would have this altar call, and I would just cry uncontrollably. I would just sit there, and he was preaching like he was preaching right to me. The first time I was, I'm not going to, man, I'm, I'm going to, part two of this message will be in two weeks, all right? It's, it's, it's done. Uh, <clears throat> I remember telling, I remember, see, like, I had this, I had this thing. <clears throat> God was with me my whole life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I was not serving him, but he was with me. And he would get me out of so many troubles. So many times the Lord delivered me from death, literally from death. I would go to do things, and then I would be like, intuition, I need to go home right now. And then everybody would get arrested. Like, this happened so often in my life. Uh, finally, I, I, I'm going to have to tell this whole story uh, some other time because it's just too ridiculous to, to tell quickly. Uh, but I, um, I was living a very, very bad life in California and uh, <clears throat> going through crazy stuff. And God, I used to always say I knew I was right with God. Because he kept break coming through my life. I kept seeing him come through my life, so I knew I was right with God. 
And uh, I used to be one of those, you know, uh, those party prophets. You know, people get drunk and talk about God like they know something, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? So we'd have these discussions about God when we were drunk. Like we were actually saying anything that made any sense at all. Talking to Catholics, that was basically the same God. We're all talking to Muslims. I don't know, man, he probably did different things at different times. You know, we don't know what we're talking about. No idea what we're talking about. Just stuck on stupid. Stuck in sin, stuck on stupid, right? That's it, just stuck. And, um, and God finally came through in a way that like, like I was in deep sin and this dude got shot instead of me. Long story, I'll tell it some other time. And uh, the Lord spoke to me audibly. He's like, that's the last time I'm getting out of this kind of nonsense. And it scared me. I mean, it scared me, scared me, scared me. Like, yeah, I heard it audibly. The first time I ever, man, okay, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just, this is done. I guess this is just done. I guess it's just done. <clears throat> Mario will come next week, prophesy over everybody. You'll be happy. You'll be like, ah, this church is worth going to. Um, So I, 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 I didn't even, like, I, I thought I was right with God. I didn't even know how to pray, right? And so I had this little Bible that I bought, and I found the Lord's Prayer in it. And, and I used to have to look for it. I, would, I wasn't even smart enough to bookmark it, right? So I would have to, I'd have to I knew it was somewhere near the back, and, and I'd have to be flipping through to look for it so I could pray it, right? And so I would, uh, I would try to pray, and I would pray that prayer. I'd find it, read it. And then I felt like there's got to be more to prayer than that, right? There's, there's got to be more. And so I turned to the Psalms, and I figured, well, that, that looks like something you could pray. And, uh, and so I had to find a psalm to pray, but I didn't want it to be too long, because, you know, <laughs> you know, it ain't got to be all that, you know? But it can't be too short, because, you know... <laughs> Stuck on stupid, right? When you're, when, you're, when, you, when you're stuck in sin, you're stuck on stupid, right? And so I'm coming up with the right length psalm. So I would read Psalm 90. Read Psalm 90 when you go home. You know, it talks about, you know, we get so many years, maybe a couple more if we're lucky, and then we die. Like, like, and so I would, I would read uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, and then I would read Psalm 90. You know, at least I remember the number of that one, because I didn't want to have to be looking for one every time, right? And so I would find the psalm. I would go to Psalm 90. And that was like my big Christian duty right there. That was, that's made me right, like I'm right with God. I'm studying. I'm reading the book. I didn't understand the book. I didn't understand why people would like keep bowing down to God. I didn't understand it. I would be I would like, you know, if people came to talk to me and they bowed down, I would find that irritating. So if I ever met God face to face, I would just stand there and talk to him. He would probably appreciate that. This is how I would think. <laughs> This is how I used to think. He'd probably appreciate that I would just stand there and talk to him. That must be very annoying to him, you know, that people like, no, 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 come, I'm trying to talk to you, get up, right? We forget what, what people, what we're like when we don't actually know Jesus. I've met Jesus and fallen on my face so many times, it is not even funny, right? But this was my thought. I would just talk. He would probably appreciate that. Like, I'm, a t- like I'm taking care of Jesus, right? Yeah, he needs me, right? And so I would read my little prayer, and I would, I would read my little psalm, and then this night, like, um, we were supposed to go do some pretty evil crime, and uh, I read my little prayer, and I read my little psalm, and I was like, um, for the very first time I ever, like, really said a prayer, I said to God, I said, God, I don't want to shoot anybody tonight, and I don't want to be shot, and if you could arrange that, I would appreciate it. That was my <laughs> prayer. That was the prayer. 
that was it. I was, but I, hear me, I was real. I was just real with God. For the first time, for the very first time, I was real. And he heard that prayer because I didn't get shot that night. But the dude who went instead of me did. And when that happened, when they called me and they told me that happened, I heard God like, you hear me right now, God said, that's the last time. And I was, I was as scared as scared can be. It's a long story, and um, you know, somebody we were going to rob robbed us, and uh, the dude that we were setting it up got shot, who went and said to me, and I was supposed to head it up, and I, he got shot, and, uh, and the dude called me the next day. That night, the dude who got shot, this is, I just have to tell you this, because so, this is how stupid you could be in sin. <clears throat> the dude, so we were supposed to get some money, long story, doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant, it's sin. And uh, the guy calls me excited. I'm like, what, what happened? He's like, oh, homie got shot. And, um, and he said, but, but we're still at the dude's house. Um, the dude who got shot, they're like, we got him in the tub because he's bleeding. We're waiting for the family to come home so we can rob the family. And the guy who got shot is there. And he's like, hey, the next day they, they had the dude's car. And they're like, hey, you want to get some stuff off the car? I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm getting out of the service and moving from California back to Florida. I am just, I am... I'm scared, and I'm alive, and for the very first time, I'm thankful, right? And so I moved to Florida um, after God had scared the hell out of me, right? But I was, amen? But unfortunately, the hell wouldn't, didn't stay scared out of me, right? So I just traded in, I just, swapped, I just upgraded sins when I got to Florida, because Florida has got sins to offer, right? And they look prettier here, right? They just look, the sins of Florida look beautiful, right? And uh, you get in them, and then you realize... Oh, I'm stuck on stupid again. What do you know? I'm just stuck on stupid. And so I traded him for Florida sins, and my life is going just absolutely crazy. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I, don't, I wish I had time to tell you this, and I don't know why I've so deviated from my message, but um, this is for somebody. I just trust. It's for somebody. And so I was stuck in deep, deep, deep sin. Uh, I moved. To, this, is how, this is how dumb your pastor was. I'm living in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. Uh, I was living in Opelika, right, uh, d- doing hood things. And, um, and then I got a scholarship. I, kinda, I, did, I was good at school. I moved from Opelika to D.C. to a private university. Everybody, but I'm still trying to thug it in D.C. at a private university <laughs> with these millionaires, right? Like, this is just how you're just stuck on stupid, right? Just stuck on stupid. I'm driving around in D.C. in a car with stolen plates on it, with no registration, expired license, with nothing in my life, like, just stuck on stupid, in the nation's capital, right? Why would you do this? I remember one time I was in, um, in D.C. and someone rear-ended me, and I got out the car and held my neck like this, ah, uh, but I was joking because I know I couldn't wait around for the police because I'm going to jail, right? And so I'm just, I'm making, and I'm like, oh, I'm just kidding, get in the car and drive off, wasn't a chance your pastor was waiting for the police to show up because I'm going to jail, right? They're not going to fix my car. I'm, I'm, I'm losing it. So this is, this is where I'm living. And so I'm driving this car with stolen plates on it. I don't even, aren't, and the, 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 the stolen plates are about to expire, you know, so that's another thing. And I don't got nothing. I don't got no, of course, I don't got no insurance, you know, none of that. And um, I'm, I'm, God's telling me to move to, 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 to Gainesville. And I'm in Gainesville, Florida. And I go to this Episcopal church. And I get baptized in the Holy Ghost, 
and I'm like, what in the world is happening? I'm living with my girlfriend who's a backslidden Jehovah Witness who doesn't really want to be hearing this, stuck on stupid. The story gets even crazier from there. Uh, But then I wind up at this church, and I walk in the front door of the church. I've told this many times. I walk in the door of the church, and it was like, for the first time in my life, I could see clearly. Like the fog had lifted off my life, and I could see, oh, this girl is a problem. This is stuck on stupid. This is evidence of stuck on stupid. What do you know? There's problems here. But God had let me see, like, clearly I saw my life. I saw the future. I saw what God had for me. I saw reality for the very first time in my life when I actually showed up at the church. The church of Jesus Christ. A group of people who believed I could be delivered from sin. Every week the pastor would preach and uh, I would cry uncontrollably. And here was my, uh, Mikey, just come on up. I just got to finish like this. Let me get the band to come up if you would. Just come up. I'm sorry. I have so much good Bible, but I'm, I'm just, yeah, amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Band, we're just going we're gonna to fill me up here in a second. Is that all right? <clears throat> Hear me. Um, I'm going I'm to change mics because we're going to get all kind of feedback here. Check, check. So, so let, me, let me finish up the story so at least you know I, I got saved. Um, so, <clears throat> so every, every week, every week uh, he would have this altar call. And uh, my heart would be pounding, just absolutely pounding. And now for like the first time in my life, now I'm, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm baptizing the Holy Ghost, right? So I'm, you got to be saved to get the Holy Ghost, right? Uh, uh, and so I'm at this church and every week we show up and my heart is like beating out of my chest. And after service, <clears throat> the very first service we went to, I'm sorry, I saw clearly and I'm sitting there in the service and the pastor's preaching and he just stops and he says, just because God keeps showing up in your life don't mean you're saved. That just means God is good. And I was like, what? What? This man is reading my mail. This like, who told him I was coming? Who, who told him? Who told him my testimony? I, I knew he was talking to me. And uh, he would have this altar call. And I would, I remember the first week I left with my girlfriend. And, and I was like, what do you think about that? And she was like, shh, I don't believe any of that stuff. I, everything he was saying I didn't agree with. I was like, wow, that's funny because everything he said sounded like truth to me. It sounded like, but she was viewing it through this Jehovah Witness cult lens, right? And, uh, and, and every week there would be this altar call. And every week, I, just, I chose my sin over responding to Jesus. What will she think if I go forward? What will she think? That was in my mind. What will she think if I go forward? And then one week, I just was sitting there, and I was like, I don't care what anybody says. I got to do it today. I have to go forward. I have to respond to this message. And as soon as he started the altar call and started praying, I leapt up from my seat and I ran to the front of the service and I just gave my life to Jesus. I was like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care how anybody responds. I am finally giving Jesus what he paid for 2,000 years ago on the cross when he thought of me and he said, Carl is worth my life. I finally said, I'm going to deliver what you paid for today, Jesus. You are worthy of my life. And I got to tell you, I I wish I could tell you that everything's been easy since then. 
uh, but it that would be a lie but everything has been worth it I got church hurt I got relational hurt I got disappointment in God I got times I thought the father was going to show up and he didn't but I'm standing here today so many years later can say with a pure heart and a clean conscience God has been faithful I would not trade a single problem today for the problems that I had from sin stand with me if you would I'm going to pray listen next week uh, Mario's going to be here preaching he has just a really 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 good word i want you to to hear it we have been preaching it to each other for a long time it's going to be good but right now i I want you to renew well let me say it this way we need jesus i need jesus today as much as i did however many years ago 25 years ago 26, whatever it is. I don't know. God has given me family and spiritual family. He's given me a wife that I don't have to worry about cheating on me. Thank Jesus. If you live where I live, just that is a miracle alone. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He's given me children, spiritual children. I've preached this gospel in, I don't know, 10 nations. I've preach this gospel in dirty streets in Central America and in expensive houses in North America and I have preached this gospel on planes, trains and automobiles. I have told people about Jesus in every store imaginable. I have seen every type of miracle known to man short of a resurrection or the regrowing of a limb. I've seen blind eyes see. I've seen deaf ears hear. I've seen cancers fall off of people's bodies. I've seen glaucoma run down faces. I have seen, I I just, I have seen it all. And I am still here today declaring Jesus is worth my life. Every challenge that I've had was worth it because the sin that I gave up in exchange for the love of God is worth it. And so if you're here today, you're here today, and maybe maybe you grew up in church like me, you, you knew about the gospel, but you've never actually experienced the gospel. You've never actually given your life to Jesus. You've never said, yes, His resurrection was for my sin. And today, I'm going to deliver the package that he paid for 2,000 years ago. If that's you today, today can be your day. Maybe you knew him when you were young. Maybe when you were young, you served him, but you're backslidden and you're here either out of religion or you think you're not worth it. Maybe you think that God isn't going to receive you back or he won't restore what you had. I'm here to say that's a lie. And number three, maybe you want to be anointed to lead people to Jesus. You want to be that one who makes disciples, who tells their story in a way that draws people closer to God. The Holy Spirit is here. Jesus promised to baptize you in the Holy Spirit 
and fire and that you would go out and do wonders in his name that you would see miracles signs and wonders in the name of jesus maybe that's you today but i want to pray for whether any of these three i want to pray for you today and i would call you to the front but that is not what i want to do though i will pray for anyone who wants prayer but i want to tell you the role of being a christian the first thing that you do is you show up to church we are a people what is a community people who keep showing up come and be discipled become a disciple of jesus answering an altar call or walking to the front i got baptized in the holy ghost in that episcopal church but i was not a disciple i was a disciple when i decided this is what i do with my life i show up to the body i get discipled i do the stuff amen i I work out my sin i work out my salvation i work out my fellowship i'm discipled and i'm discipling this is what i am as a believer and i believe in this house right now i believe god is turning a corner and he has anointed people right now he is anointing people to recognize their salvation the value of their salvation the value of their encounter and what he has put on the inside of them i declare in the name of jesus there are people in this room right now and god is calling you to himself either for salvation or for anointing for service god is now right now moving in people's hearts right now and like me when i was at that church and i was shaking and i was trembling and i was scared i was nervous to go forward because what would that mean what would people look at me i did not recognize biblically that is the stumbling block that i had to get past to serve jesus and right now if that is you every head bowed every eye closed i want to call you to repentance right now i want to call you right now to say i need jesus i've been trying to do it on my own but i actually need god i didn't just need him when i got saved or i didn't just need him when i was born i didn't just need him when i got baptized as a child i need jesus i'm crying out for god right now if that's you i want you to do whatever it takes to show jesus i need jesus i recognize my own humanity i recognize my own sinfulness i recognize my own flesh i need jesus you recognize that sin has drawn you away from god that you're not living in purpose you're scared that people will find out your hidden sins the secrets at work in your life you live in anxiety that the real you will come to the surface i need jesus at this moment you were living like it was all on you you forgot that god is the one who's been carrying you all this time that god has been moving in your life that god is drawing you to something better but you got caught up in other things you got caught up in the things of this world or you got caught up in working out your own salvation or bettering yourself and you got caught up and you're disappointed and you're hurt and maybe you're a little bitter and you're maybe offended with god because he didn't do what you thought he was going to do because you never did let it over to him you never did lose control you never took your hands off of it you've been doing it under your own strength and now here you are no better than you were in the beginning i need jesus this is the prayer that we have right now do whatever you need to do. wave at god right now lift your hand to him lift your heart to him right now just declare i am the one he's talking to he is god i am the one he's talking about i need jesus in my life i forgot 
I forgot, I forgot, or maybe I was lied to, or maybe I, I got caught up in, in life and just trying to make things work out. God, I need you to rescue me. I need you to come in and rescue me and redeem my value. I've given it up for things. I've, I've surrendered my value to pornography, or I've surrendered my value to the altar of marriage, or I've surrendered my value for the lust for money or fame or power. I need deliverance right now, Jesus. I'm not literally going to be shot or I'm not literally going to shoot anyone, but I'm not living a life of love. I'm not living a life of purpose. I'm not living a holy life. I need Jesus. Would you move in my life right now, Lord? Come on, somebody, just pray with me. Who, who is it? Who is talking right now? I need Jesus. I need you to come and rescue. I need you to come and deliver, just like you did Israel back in the day, just like you did David when people tried to come against him, just like you did the children of Israel when Pharaoh's army had him up against the sea, and you parted the seas, and you trapped Pharaoh's army, and you flood them in the waters, Lord. I need you to flood the sin that has been coming to, to, to swallow me whole, just like you did, Father. Then you, you buried them in that sea. Uh, I need you to baptize them in the waters of punishment, Father, so that I can be free from this sin that has beset my life. I need Jesus. I need him so bad. Say it with me. I need Jesus. We need you, Lord Jesus. We need you in this place. We need you in this church. We need you in our lives. We need you so much, Father.